What's good, everybody? And before we start this week's episode, I want to share something with you guys really quickly. A lot of you guys have come to this page because you're so sick of the politically biased, culturally divisive, and male-bashing content that's all out in the media today, and you love what we're doing. But what we're going to need you guys, we need every last one of you guys to join the movement and support us on Patreon, guys. Patreon is our exclusive platform where we get to put out the uncensored, unfiltered content that you guys are enjoying. You know, content to help you guys become better men, content to, you know, challenge your worldview and to, you know, open your mind to diversity of ideas and just overall make you a better person, guys. So go ahead and rock with us at www.patreon.com slash roommate. Sign up, guys. Join the movement. A lot of you guys want more content. You want more interviews. You know what I mean? You want more dope stuff. And we need you guys support. We don't want to be, you know what I mean? controlled by a sponsor and afraid of you know cancel culture and the pc mob and all that garbage guys so we need you guys to rock with us and support us so enjoy this episode but after this episode or even pause it right now and go to www.patreon.com slash the roommate sign up guys join the movement help us create better men and create a better society and i hope you guys enjoy this week's episode this week on a roommate's podcast. You, you think I'm insulted when a grown black man calls me out of my name? You think I'm supposed to be like hurt about that? I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that that's happened to our culture, that they think that that's cool. F you, you stupid B-I-T-C-H, you slut, all of this stuff because you don't like my opinion on Black Lives Matter and you think that I'm going to look at that and be hurt? Look at yourself, man. Like, you're not a man. You know what I'm saying? No matter how you feel about a certain woman, you should be respectful as a man. That's the role of a man. I'm disgusted by it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm harsher on men than half the time I am on women because I was raised by my grandfather and he was just such a, a strong example of what it means to be a man. Even when you're mad. You know what I mean? Even when you're mad, when you, when you really want to say something, I just I think that we just need to bring, that, bring back um, that old school man. You know what it means to be a man. Yeah. Have a conversation. Say how you feel. It's fine. You're allowed to do that. Um, but we can't have we have to stop disrespecting each other and we are the number one perpetuators of a culture of disrespect Yo, what's good, everybody? This is Hafiz from The Roommates and welcome to another episode but before we begin I have to let you guys know something. Here at The Roommates, we believe in having an open mind and a discerning heart. What that basically means is open your minds and listen to our diversity of ideas, but also have a discerning heart where you have to have critical thinking and not blindly accept what everybody tells you to do. And so one thing that we do not tolerate here is name calling, character assassinations, or just blatant disrespect of people whose ideals are different from ours. So if you're going to take part in this conversation, I ask you, please be respectful, be cordial in the comments and to really listen. And for all my people who get triggered easily, (laughs) this might not be the message for you. And last thing, as we continue the conversation about respecting and valuing black women, let's also do the same for those who believe differently from us. And with that being said, let's welcome to the show the one and only Candace Owens. Thank you for having me. No problem, Candace. Thank you for being here. I've been trying to get you on here for at least two years. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's been a crazy two years, so yeah. I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. No problem. No problem. So, Candace, I know who you are. For those who do not know who you are, can you give us a bit of an elevator pitch synopsis about who you are and all that good stuff? Uh, it depends on uh, what you're reading about me, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know who I am, uh, but there's definitely been a lot of media caricatures of me. And I think people think of me as this... Uh, super outspoken conservative black woman, which apparently is not allowed. You're not allowed mm-hmm. to be conservative out loud mm-hmm. uh, if you're a minority. Um, but you know, I'm just a person that fights for real freedom. And just like you said, I, I believe that the only true diversity exists in the diversity of ideas. And you know, my right to exist um, as a black person, I'm not truly free um, unless I have the ability to believe what I want to believe. And I have found that in just coming out and saying that I'm a conservative. Um, it sort of created this firestorm of people that want me to just capitulate 
uh, to leftist principles and they don't serve me. I don't believe they serve the black community. And so I'm a proud, outspoken black conservative, but that is just, you know, 10% of who I am. You know, I'm also um, a wife, uh, uh, which is probably my favorite role that I get to do. <laughs> um, you know, I do a lot of charity work uh, in, in various communities. I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. Uh, so I'm a lot of things, but I think probably for the sake of this podcast, <laughs> I'm political Candace. <laughs> <laughs> political Candace, political Candace. So here's what I want to do, Candace. I feel like people are expecting us to, to debate what I consider very tertiary issues, right? People are expecting us to debate George Floyd's morality. Right. They're expecting us to debate mail-in voting. They're, they're expecting us to debate, you know, racism in modern 21st century. And so, from in my personal opinion, I believe those are secondary issues. And so, I don't want to focus too much on these secondary issues. I want to I want to get to the meat of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And as well as what I really dislike is I dislike political strawmans, right? Mm. And I hate when the media does that. Hate when the media paints everybody on the right as some, um, you know, alt-right extremists. Gun-toting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, And I hate yeah. that, but I also hate when they paint everybody on the left as the Antifa, you know, Radical, anarchists. throwing bombs, yes. looting. Yeah. So I think you and I are very similar where we believe that most people are reasonable people in the middle. Some lean a little bit to the left, some people lean a little bit to the right, but most people are reasonable people who simply want a better future for America and their families. Mm. And so I just want to make sure that I feel like you're on the same page in regards to that as we move forward in this conversation. Yeah, I think more people exist somewhere in the middle and either fall a little further to the left or to the right. Um, but I will say that I think what does differentiate the right from the left is that we're willing to call out our people when they do something wrong. So if there's a far right extremist who is an actual racist, you would be hard pressed to find any conservative who would defend that. Uh, but I find often with the left that when you get Antifa and they're riding or looting, it's peaceful protesting. So I think I, I find it to be a bit disingenuous when people can't just call out things that are wrong and they feel this need to constantly defend because it's like, oh, well, we're in the same voting block. And I think, especially in this political climate, a lot of times the left, people that are just perhaps liberal, need to do a better job of saying, we're not that. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Here's where I believe. I'm a moderate. I believe in freedom. I believe you have a right to exist. I don't like your ideas. Um, but I also very much disagree with burning and looting down you know, the homes of the homes and the private property of business owners. So I think there does need to be a little bit more of that on the yeah. left. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get into that. So first question, I think that people want to know, Candice, are you a Republican? I'm a registered Republican. Um, for the first time I registered after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, I felt that, you know, after what I saw there, it absolutely terrified me to see, just a man who's done nothing wrong in his life be able to face one allegation and go through what he went through when there was no proof. Um, it scared me, and actually, it scared me for reasons that were related to the African-American story in this country. Um, you know, the last time white women could say something happened with no proof um, and uh, be able to be given a trial, our ancestors were being lynched. And it was incredible to me that people didn't realize that, to say this hashtag that was trending, believe women. I mean, believe women. What is, I mean, I could lie right now. You know what I'm saying? I could, everything I just said could have been a lie. Why would you just believe me? Because I'm a woman. I could say that when I walked into this place, you tried to grab my butt, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Would you just believe that? People should just believe that and your whole show should go away. So I felt that what, the, what, I, what I saw the left becoming at that time was it was no longer like I, I needed to start firmly say, like, I believe in conservative principles. Um, I believe that there needs to be, you know, a, a, a trial, <laughs> that you are innocent until proven guilty. And that was the first time I, I registered as a Republican. Okay. But I don't consider myself to be a Republican. Okay. I say a Trumplican <laughs> because if John McCain was alive and running, I would not be voting for John McCain. Mm -hmm. If Paul Ryan ran in 2024, I would not be voting for Paul Ryan. Um, if now... Killer Mike ran. <laughs> I love Killer Mike. Yeah. He's a liberal. Uh, you know, he's a good friend of mine and he's a great person. So uh, it, it depends on, I, I really go for the person. And right now I like Trump. So if Killer Mike ran as a Democrat, you feel like you vote for Killer Mike? Yeah, if there was a candidate that was running, like, who I did not think could hold a candle to him, like, I would, under no circumstances, would I ever vote for McCain? Yeah. You know, and that's considered like, Republican establishment. I actually hate the Republican establishment okay. and Trump was anti-establishment. And I think people get that wrong too, is that, uh, the Trumplicans, as we affectionately are referred to sometimes in the media are, are people that were brought into the Republican party because of Trump. Um, and people forget that 
uh, when Trump ran, he was hated by the Republican Party and he was hated by the Democrat Party. He really was an independent who picked, you know, just to, he decided to run as a Republican. But if Trump had run as a Democrat, I would have voted for Trump. You okay. know what I'm saying? That makes sense. So one of the things that I think you're known for is uh, many things. <laughs> and we'll get into them if we, if we have times. But I think one of the things that you're a big proponent of is your Blexit movement, right? right. And one of the things is you, you want to create somewhat of a mass exodus from the Democratic establishment for black Americans. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's not even the Democratic establishment because I think, like, going back to what you were saying, that would almost run tertiary. Mm-hmm. Um, Blexit is a 501c3 nonprofit, so we don't advocate for political candidates. If you follow the Blexit pages, we're not saying, go vote for Trump. I, Candace Owens, I support Trump. Um, but it's actually about breaking black America from progressive principles altogether. Okay. Liberal principles that have never served us. Um, and uh, yes, it does tend to be that Democrats stand on those progressive ideas of mm-hmm. handouts, welfare, um, you know, the breakdown of family, undoing the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. That's what we stand opposed to. Yeah. Um, and we believe that that we need to foster a black community that has fathers back in the home, mm-hmm. which is, I believe, the number one issue that is facing black America right now. Um, a culture um, that is conducive to learning. And I'm not just talking about in the classroom. Yes, educationally speaking, when we have statistics like 75% of black boys in California can't pass a reading exam, mm-hmm. we should all be terrified because that's that was this same source of things when we look at the times of slavery, when, mm-hmm. black, when slaves weren't allowed to read. Um, it becomes very dangerous because it allows for other people um, with more nefarious goals uh, to go out and create your reality for you. And mm-hmm. that's what I think we're seeing today is people that are not educated properly and they believe what they see on TV. It's okay. propaganda, right? Um, so I, we, we just we very much believe in education. We very much believe in the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we very much believe that the welfare system, the incentives of the welfare system, uh, dis- you know, basically deconstructed what was once a very strong black family unit. Oh, and like, we're going to get into all that good stuff. And, and one of the things that I personally believe very similar to you that Black Americans should have the freedom to vote for whatever policies that they feel reg- resonates with their spirit without the questioning of their identity, right? right? I don't want somebody to say, because you're a Black American, whether you vote Democrat, whether you vote Republican, as long as you're voting for a policy that you feel like is going to benefit you, your community, and your family, I personally am not going to judge you. Right. So in regards to the political freedom, I definitely am a, I'm a huge proponent of the f- political freedom, right? That each individual should have the political freedom to be able to join whatever party they want or remain independent or, you know, choose how they want to interact with the uh, overall government. So I think you and I are very, very similar there. But I think one of the things for me in regards to some of the progressive and liberal ideas is that I think, unfortunately, this is just my guesstimation, I think the media, unfortunately, projects a lot of unhealthy ideals about progressivism and liberalism. Mm-hmm. Like I said, these political strawmans, right? Like all the worst ideas. Like you said, Killer Mike is a great guy on the left who's, in, who's intellectual, who's intelligent, who's mm-hmm. competent, who's capable. I know you said you respect a lot of Charlemagne's ideas. He's not an individual on the left. I've noticed a lot of individuals on the left who are very intelligent, who do have progressive values per se, but like I said, the media does not put emphasis on those individuals. That's why, like I said, I'm all for black Americans freely going politically to whatever they feel like benefits them the most. Right. And and I think for me, it's whatever party is going to look at me as a person and not assign a bunch of stereotypes to me because of the color of my skin. And what I mean by that is just recently, you know, Joe Biden was interviewed by Cardi B. I mean, if, if that's not a mockery to black America, I don't know what is. Why do you feel like that's a mockery? Because why would Cardi B, who is borderline illiterate, okay, who knows absolutely nothing about politics, who actually during the interview was going, oh, you know what I mean? Like, which is funny culturally, <laughs> yeah. but that does not belong on a political stage when you're talking about somebody that's going to become a leader of the free world, right? We have tons of deeply intellectual black people in America that he could have sat down with. He could have sat down with Condoleezza Rice. He could have sat down with Thomas Sowell. He could have sat down with Clarence Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. He could have sat down with Charlemagne the God, who, who he did and, and who gave him a much harder time. And it didn't end well for him because yeah. Charlemagne was asking serious questions. Yeah. But he chose to go and sit down with the minimal time he's even spent publicly, right? Because he's been hiding in his basement vir- virtually this entire <laughs> campaign, right? And he finally comes out of his basement and he decides to sit down with Cardi B. Yeah. That 
really should tell you what this candidate thinks about black people, right? He did not want a heart interview. He wanted, and, and this is the perception, like you're talking about the idea of what it means to be black, that that is what was playing out in the media in that moment. Her saying, oh, at the same, same time that she's asking for, um, she was saying she wants her taxes to go down. She's saying she also wants healthcare for all, okay? Mm-hmm. That's completely uneducated, mm-hmm. right? That means she does not have any concept of economics. She has no idea where any of this money comes from. Like she's saying she wants a Republican, uh, you know, a, a Republican outcome with, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a very Democrat and liberal um, uh, uh, initiative, right? So, Candace, real quick, is it fair to say that according to free speech, right? We all believe in free speech. Yeah. Shouldn't Cardi have the freedom that if she says, I want to interview Joe Biden, shouldn't she be free as an American to interview Joe Biden? 100% she should, but that should not have been his first stop. Okay. Okay, so he's got a very limited time until okay. November. Why did he choose to sit down with her? You know he's getting tons of requests from black media, from black people. If that's what, if, if the angle was say, oh, you know, I want to speak directly to the black community, why didn't he stand with Killer Mike? Killer Mike is, is well read, mm-hmm. right? Why did he choose Cardi B? And the answer is simple. But- I enjoyed watching her on Love and Hip Hop, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I understand that the people that I watch on Love and Hip Hop are not necessarily equipped to go and, and interview the leader of the free world, right? Okay. I get that she has whatever it is, 50 million followers on Instagram, and that might be a cool clip, but that's pandering, okay? okay. We have tons of intellectuals that can sit down and ask you meaningful questions, that can ask you about the economics behind your questions. That is what black America needs to hear. We don't need to hear a woman going on saying, oh, kr. she's yeah, right. Yeah. She's right too. I'm not saying like... She has no right to speak to him ever. I'm saying, why did he choose to go sit down with her? Yeah, no, that's a fair question. If you're simply asking what, what his intent was, I think that's fair to ask an individual. What I try to do, like I said, we're getting to tertiary points. So I want to move forward a little bit. But what I try to do politically is I try, ne- I try my best to never assume intent, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, you make it—I hear— Candace Owens did this. Candace Owens said this. I want to sit down with Candace Owens and I want to have a conversation with him. Obviously, with our political you know, leaders, we're not able to have a one-on-one conversation. So I just personally try not to assume intent on, on individuals, especially those I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But like I said, moving forward to more primary issues, I'm very curious, in your opinion, what would you say are the biggest issues plaguing black America today, in your personal opinion? Number one is father absence. Yes. Everything and everything that happens is secondary to that. Like mm-hmm. it all falls apart once you remove fathers from the home. And <clears throat> I talk about that often, you know, and actually Barack Obama spoke about this. He gave a Father's Day speech yes. and he started talking about all the statistics of what happens when you remove a father from the home. One simple thing, remove a father from the home and a child is nine times more likely to end up in prison, uh, six times more likely to drop out of school, uh, sorry, 12 times more likely to end up in prison, nine times more likely to drop out of school, six times more likely to lead a life of poverty, right? One single element. And there are actually policies that since the 1960s have incentivized that for black America. That's when everything fell apart for black Americans. We were, our families were together, kids were performing better. I mean, it literally every in every statistic, black Americans were doing better. Think about this under Jim Crow laws, mm-hmm. right, than they are doing today. Now, nobody would say America has become a more racist society since Jim Crow laws. If they did, they'd be disingenuous and they'd be lying to you, mm-hmm. right? So what happened? Well, you, you tore apart our families and you, you turned us into a culture of baby mamas, um, which is now reflected in our music. So when I talk about black culture and I say things that need to be changed, our music has taken a hit. I go back and I listen to the music I grew up on and I grew up in my grandfather's home. The Temptations, Diana Ross, music that was about love, feeling good, men that were dressed in suits. Mm-hmm. Now we have Cardi B. <laughs> Cardi B's new song is the number one song right now, right? You don't like WAP? Right, hey, listen, listen. I'm not, <laughs> I, I, but think about what has happened to yeah, black culture know, I, I from my girl. Yeah. I've got sunshine, a cloud a day yeah. to WAP, which we couldn't even, you wouldn't feel comfortable if I told you to read the lyrics right now for your show. Music, Chris did it though. Right? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that I don't, she doesn't have a right to make the music, yeah. but I'm saying that when that becomes number one in replace of what was number one, something's happened to black culture. So real quick, Candice, what do you feel like tore down that black family from your analysis? The welfare system did. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was strategic. You know, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, who uh, authored, you know, who, who who signed the Great Society Act, mm-hmm. um, went after and targeted black men. It was a t- he, he was a avowed racist. He hated black people, used the N-word his entire life, wouldn't even refer to his driver who was black as uh, by his name. Mm-hmm. You know, and he said, you just got to get used to it. You're an N-word. And, you know, you got to go look up the LBJ transcripts and think about how weird it is that today you speak to the average black American and they'll say he was the best president for black America, avowed racist. Mm. And his, you know, his famed quote that he said 
once black Americans received civil rights, which he signed off on only because of protesting. He had just gotten into the White House after uh, the assassination of JFK. Yep. There were massive protests going on here in D.C. all around, and he signed off on this because he virtually had to. The entire mm-hmm. time he was in Senate for 20-plus years, he was opposed. He was a part of the strong Southern bloc who opposed every single advancement for black Americans. He voted against for 20 years, right? Then he becomes president of the United States, you know, on a, on a, on a fluke, essentially. You know, he's the vice president, became the president. And uh, he now has to sign off on Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. of 1964. Yeah. And immediately following it, he gives a speech at Howard University. And he says, it's not enough for us to just give you your rights. We have to do more. And he then puts into place the Great Society Act. Yeah. And the Great Society Act was an initiative that said to black women, and literally they would knock on your door. And they would say, the government will give you money as long as the man does not live in this household. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So we watched from the 1960s. Uh, the single motherhood rate being 23% mm-hmm. to the single motherhood rate being 77% today in the black community. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? You want to talk about why the black community, forget, you know, education not being at the forefront, the ignorance that we see, the culture that we see, the disrespect. We are a disrespectful culture. The fact that you have to caution, and I'm glad that you said it, you know, I believe we should respect black women. We should respect. Yeah. The fact that you have to say that is sad, right? My grandfather's time, that was a no brainer. I mean, you, th- my grandfather, could hate you with everything in him. He is not going to disrespect a woman, mm-hmm. right? It was a different time. But we've now taken all that away and we've, we've reduced our culture to something other. And that other is something that I fight against at every single turn, every single turn, right? This is the only way you can be black is if you assign to all this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't know how to be black unless you listen to all this stuff. I don't want to listen to, my children are not going to listen to Cardi B's WAP. I'll tell you that much, right? <laughs> yeah. They might listen to Beethoven, right? <laughs> they're going to be listening to to music that that is going to affect, they're going to listen to Jesus music. I think Kanye West doing Jesus is King is he understands that there has been a corrosion in the, in the black community. Mm-hmm. And we're all playing a part of it because we don't have the courage to say, this is not who we've been. This is mm-hmm. what government and, and government policies have turned us into. Yeah. So I personally believe that the the 60s did you watch the show Mad Men? I didn't watch it but I know what it's about. Okay, so Mad Men, I love this show because it's basically a story of an ad company mm-hmm. from the 50s and 60s. And I love this show because it shows a cultural revolution that happened in America in the 60s. Mm. And you really walk through and see how the world changed in the 60s. It did. I would love to have a show like that for black America mm. to show people tan- like really what went on in the 60s. Because like you said, mm. I think most people go to the 60s, right, as this era where black progress was going on its upward. It was. And then all of a sudden, 70s, 80s, we see a downward spiral in a lot of different areas. I, while welfare is a variable, because I believe it was a multi-variable equation which caused these issues. Mm-hmm. While welfare is a variable I think there's a, a other variables that we're not talking about as well that contributed to the breakdown of the black families. Fear. And so one of the things, fear is definitely one. One of the things is, so you, you, many people quote the 25% of black women in 1960s who were single mothers, right? And they said the, the number went from 23, 25, whatever number you believe, mm-hmm. to about 70 to 75 today. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Mm-hmm. But most people don't realize that 23, 25% in the 60s was still extremely high. Well, they thought it, they, no, they, that it, they said it was extremely high because at that time, family was valued all across America. Exactly. It was all about the family. Exactly. You're talking about Patrick Moynihan's report, and they said, we, we've got a problem here. Exactly. Like, yeah, it was considered high. Exactly. So, because in the white community, the, 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 the rate was 3%, mm-hmm. right? So, what's interesting is in the black community, the rate went from 25%. To seventy five percent, you know, a three hundred percent increase, and then the white community went from three percent to today about thirty percent, which is a one thousand percent increase. Yeah, but way less than ours. Yeah, you know, like, but but percentage wise, obviously, when you get to higher tiers, it's, it's difficult to grow faster, right? It's it's, it's way it's way easier to go from two percent to four percent than from forty percent to eighty percent, right? But at the same time, the it yeah, did, we did it. <laughs> we, we still we still went up. Yeah, and so one of the things that's really fascinating is that the single motherhood rate was high in the black community in the 60s. So sometimes I feel as though we're painting, just my personal opinion, a disingenuous um, image of the 1960s as this 
utopian ideal time in black America when there was a bunch of issues still going yeah, on. Yeah, but twenty three percent versus seventy seven percent. No, it's, it's it's like yeah, it's, I mean, it's gotten it's yeah. gotten worse. I think it's fair right. to say it's gotten worse. But like I was but saying, way worse. I mean, we're talking about we're, we're talking about it's increased threefold. Of course. Right? I mean, that's not like it just got a little bit worse. This yeah. is like this, this is now this went from like an issue that needed to be addressed at twenty three percent, which I do still believe is high, right? Mm-hmm. But twenty three percent and seventy seven percent. You, you can't even talk about these two things the same, right? Now, now, because now you're talking about it was a minority and now it's a majority, an 100%. overwhelming majority, right? So it was a small minority mm-hmm. and now it's an overwhelming majority of black yes. people that are growing up without a father in the home. Yes. So that completely rewrites culture. No, and I agree with you. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favor of the single motherhood rate being an issue. What I'm saying is mm. that sometimes I feel as though when people are making just the welfare argument that this is the only variable that contributed to the rise in single motherhood, we're having a very myopic the perspective of what's going on because there's a myriad of factors. Because what's interesting that you make reference to is that, you know, I, you love Thomas so well. You like one of the guys that you mentioned a lot. Mm. And I, I really respect some of his writings. And Thomas Sowell has argued that in the ni- like in 1980s, under the Reagan administration, mm-hmm. it's fair to say that welfare got cut, right? Mm-hmm. It's fair to say that he was one of the presidents who actually made government smaller. Mm -hmm. But what you see as welfare decreased in the 80s, you also saw an increase in single motherhood and also um, family structures were Mm. still corroding. Mm -hmm. So if the if the correlation is simply as welfare increases, mm. single motherhood increases, then the inverse should be true as well. As welfare decreases, then single motherhood decreases. Yeah. Well, him rolling back welfare benefits, he didn't take welfare away from the people that, that had it. Do you get what I'm saying? So that that's not going to I don't think that would change, especially in, in a short span of years. Like, you know, for a president can only be president for eight years. Mm-hmm. Right. Welfare policies that were started in the 60s are still exist today, right? So you can have you can have one president that proliferates it, and you can have one president that wants to dial back on it, but they're not going into homes and saying, now you're not getting food no, stamps. No, I agree with you, but I guess right? what I'm saying is, and you said 60- they didn't They didn't stop the incentivization of no fathers in home during that time. Yeah. Like, so, you know what I'm saying? So there was still an incentive to be a single mother. There was still an incentive. And, and when you're talking about that, you're talking about the diminishing, like they, 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 they diminished the role of black men. I mean, I, I genuinely believe- what the the what we're going through in terms of just the role of black men is an epidemic. Of course, and so and so I agree with you hundred ten percent. But what I was saying, like, it's a multivariate equation. So one thing that also happened was globalization, mm-hmm. right? Second Great Migration occurred in nineteen forties, where a lot of these blacks left the South. They went to where Los Angeles. They went to Chicago. They went to Pittsburgh. They went to New York. They went to these cities for these different jobs. And a lot of black in, black men went for service industry jobs. What happened in the late seventies? 80s and 90s the world changed right? that also happened bef- way before earlier in in the progressive era and it didn't change when they did that the, the migration has happened more than once or twice it, you know it, it also happened during the progressive era the first great migration but then it, but but the world didn't change though that, but but that's my point because welfare didn't exist. So I actually think I'm not saying it's the only variable. Yeah. I'm saying it's the biggest variable. Okay. So so if you can look back and you say this migration has happened, the, the Great Migration first happened, uh, you know, during the Progressive Era, and nothing changed in terms of the family dynamic. That lets you know that they, the family was still intact. Well, right? things did change in the, in the 1920s during the Great Depression. Single motherhood went up and broken marriages went up in, across all communities in America because what we see is that one of the biggest issues when it comes to marriages, as you and I both know, when you have financial instability in communities, you're going to have higher rates of single motherhood and higher rates of broken marriages. So during that period of time... But slightly. Did, you get what I'm saying. Slightly. I mean, if you're talking about... Of course, if you look at any statistic and you're looking at it over time, you're going to see this, right? During different times. I mean, case in point, during World War II, men were going overseas, they were being killed. Like, you know, there are all these different things that go like this. When you see... This sharp increase, something's happened that that started this. And this is what's happened after the 1960s, right? So yes, there are tons of other small variables that can impact those things. And I agree with you that we could talk about any one of those elements and say this could have contributed, right? But when we're talking about we're staying from, you know, 11% to 18%, right? And then we're going from 23% to 77%. What was the big variable? And so, the big variable is welfare. Welfare is one of the marrying mo- women to government. But here's a, another interesting factor. So also you have to take into consideration shotgun marriages, right? So that's something also that can sit that happened as well. So basically what happened was a very interesting study. So in the year 1964, when they did the when they when they analyzed the, the black family, like you were saying, blacks were married at who have been married, were married at higher rates mm-hmm. than whites. 
But still, at the same time, blacks had higher single motherhood rates than whites. So what they realized was that for, for a lot of black Americans, there was a cultural attitude where if you got a woman pregnant, right, the idea was you would marry them. Mm-hmm. So I hope yeah. you guys are following that. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, the cultural attitudes changed. It did. In the 60s, right? You had second wave feminism. You had a lot of women becoming more into the workplace. You had a lot of different cultural attitudes mm-hmm. that also contributed to it. So a lot of these women who were once single mothers, right, because single motherhood was steadily raising during, mm-hmm. during this period of time, a lot of these women who were single mothers who traditionally felt the obligation to get married, right, a lot of them, like you said, did, quote-unquote, get married to the government, but a lot of them chose not to get married because of the disinvention of shotgun marriages as well as no-fault divorce. Right, I mean, listen, that, that now we're kind of getting into the space of feminism, and I'm also very opposed of course to feminism, are. right? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like, it all. I mean, you're exactly right that that is another, that's another uh, corollary and I agree with you mm-hmm. and what, and in terms of, you hear me speak about this often, trying to turn feminism, trying to make women aspire, you know, turn women into men, turn men into women, uh, you know, saying if this is, this shouldn't belong to men, women should want this too. I disagree with all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that resetting, that has also contributed to the breakdown of family dynamics. That's also why I'm against the trans movement. Like, I mean, so don't think that I am only solely saying welfare. I'm saying it's the biggest contributor to the spike. Yeah. And then there are all these other elements. And you are correct, Pat, for the 60s, there was sort of this push, uh, you know, uh, feminism, environmentalism, all of these isms sort of started popping mm-hmm. up after the 60s. And you can talk about how any of them have contributed to the breakdown. But the, sing- the sing- single biggest contributor for the black community has been welfare, um, in, in my opinion. Okay, and then yeah. there's tons of other things that factor into it. And they're all things that I fight today. So yeah. there's, you're not going to find a category where I'm like, oh, but I'm in support of that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I love, fem- I, I hate feminism. I think it's horrible. It needs to be thrown out. Um, I'm not a feminist. I am one of the proudest non-feminists that there are. Mm-hmm. I believe there are, that there are roles, natural biological roles for men and natural biological roles for women. There's a reason that God designed it so that I can hold a baby and you can't hold a baby, mm-hmm. right? And it allows you to do certain things that I can't do and allows me to do things that you can't do. And both of those things should be celebrated as difficult tasks. Mm-hmm. Becoming a CEO of a company, it's a very hard task. I agree. Raising three good children is a very hard task. I agree, and there's a yin and there's a yang. And we're, we're, we're now in a society that's trying to foster a disruption of that yin yeah. and that yang. And who's going to hurt? Families. It's, it's the breakdown of family. And so, yeah, I would almost say that there's almost this 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 rapid um, uh, this this rapid approach to uh, to breaking down the family, and there are all of these things that are contributing yeah. to it now. And, and so, the reason why I want to bring that up is like because I feel as though when you when we understand what was the causing this issue, then mm. we can move forward to what were the solutions to the issue. Mm. So, what, so it was an interesting study that was done that said, okay, what happens is. Okay, if welfare is a contributing factor, they were like, let's remove, let's let's create new welfare incentives, saying that you have to get a job after two years on welfare. Love it. And so what ended up happening was interesting thing happened. They found out that single motherhood rates increase, and also wait, when did they make that a policy? I don't think that was a policy in America. No, not in not in America. So do you know how like certain individual cities mm-hmm. can do different things in regards to local governments can have flexibility for the welfare policies? Mm-hmm. So. What they what I forgot the city I'll I'll, I'll share it with you I'm gonna put I'm gonna put all these quote, um the citations in this in the footnotes so an interesting study that was done and they showed what happened was that this single motherhood rate actually increased because what they found was that they were they were pushing people different individuals to saying that okay you have to get a job for you know because we're not gonna be on welfare forever. So they were seeing that, okay, these women who got jobs mm-hmm. post-welfare, did that, in, did that further incentivize them to get married and for them not to be single mothers? Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was a lot of these women still didn't get married mm-hmm. because now the cultural attitude had shifted mm-hmm. in the late 80s, 90s yeah. with the feminist movement, with a lot of the women power movement. So they felt like, I don't need a man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? So we're not, I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is that the solution is that if you took away welfare, suddenly everyone would start getting married. That's, no. And that's what I wanted to clarify for the audience. Oh, yeah. like I said, my biggest thing when people think about what is the primary cause to the dissolution in the black yeah, family. Cause and solutions are two different things. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, I'll, so my argument is it's a multivariate oh, yeah. equation where yeah. there's so many things that took place. The, di- the death of the black leaders, you know, death of yeah. King, death of, um, you know, yeah. Malcolm X. A lot of these things affected the black community as well. And so 
in regards to solutions, right? That's where I feel as though, okay, moving forward, right? We understand that this is a problem. We can mm. we can argue how we got here, but we both agree that this is a problem, right? right? So in your personal opinion, what are tangible solutions to help the black community? Well, first off, there's no question that welfare should be rolled back. I mean, there's, without question, it should be. Stop incentivizing bad behavior, period. You know what I mean? Like, if it wasn't there, you wouldn't take it. And if you didn't have the government coming in to investigate in your home whether a man lived here, I have family members in my in my. Uh, I have I have family members that are on welfare. I've seen the games they play to be able to stay on welfare and to keep taking uh, money from the government, able-bodied individuals that can work. Took that away from them, they'd work. I mean, that's just the truth. You know what I mean? And they wouldn't be so uh, afraid of having a man live in the home that fathered their children. Um, so even if it's not about getting married, having a father figure in the home makes a tremendous difference. Now, I agree with you that marriage now is sort of considered, uh, you know, this sort of antiquated establishment. Um, and that's talking about feminism has, has introduced this idea that, that somehow you're giving up your freedom if you get married. When in fact, I would say that my freedom has increased tenfold since I've gotten married. Uh, when you get to have a partner who you know that you have with you through everything, right? You actually, it gives you freedom. Um, and that is the fault of our culture. The media culture has changed. And that goes back to what I was saying to you about these, these shows, the, the, these shows, the music, it's all about, you know, strippers, broken down culture, and we're glorifying it. You know, we're not saying this is bad and shaking our head and going, this is horrible, which Mm -hmm. is what the the 1960s black American would have looked at that and said, this is not anything that we want. These are corroded values Mm -hmm. and we are trying to have traditional values. Um, Until we start fixing the culture, it starts with having this conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Acknowledging something is broken. Mm -hmm. You have black Americans who cannot admit that something is wrong. Like Candace just needs to be more black. Candace just needs to like, you know, just needs needs to start listening to this music. I listen to that music and then I realize that we are programming children to aspire to that, to aspire to wanting, you know, to live a, a lifestyle as gangsters, as drug dealers, right? The streets are raising our children. The music is raising our children, mm-hmm. right? So there are tons of things that we need to do better. And I think that there are pioneers in different spaces that are trying to defeat it. As I said, Kanye West doing a Jesus is King album. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understand how big that is for somebody who once wrote about, you know, the girls he slept with to now doing an entire album, which was extremely well produced with great music. That's about Jesus because he realized something has gone amiss and he's contributed to it. Yeah. Right. So he understands that there, he, he's trying to almost redeem what he thinks he's done. And he wasn't anywhere near. I mean, I loved his music growing up, but still do love his music. Mm-hmm. His music, you know, was hardly what we see now with WAP, even, yeah. even from the nineties, forget going all the way back to the sixties, the nineties music to today. It's insane if you look at the top of the charts compared to what was top of the charts then. There is no room for talking about good values. We have women that are half naked, debasing themselves, doing the splits. And by the way, I'm not just going to call it black culture. It's white culture too. You know, Ariana Grande, uh, I bend it all night. I bend it all day. I mean, this is, is, uh, we have a cultural problem in, in the West. Because it doesn't belong to the East. They don't do this in the East. Mm-hmm. And that's what's interesting to, to realize. This is this only belongs to the West. We've, we've done this thing where we keep saying we're more free and we're more free. A woman is more free if she's naked and she's doing the splits and opening her legs. It shows you how free and how powerful she is. That is not free. That is not powerful. That is debased, mm-hmm. right? And that is a woman that is giving up for up for free. She's actually for sale. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she is giving everything up for free where you don't have to imagine anything. And, and we have to, we are teaching young women that that's what they should aspire to. We're teaching young men that instead of being decent and respectful, we have to tell them, Hey, don't write horrible things to a woman, right? I know you're going to watch this podcast, be respectful. That should already, that should be ingrained. Yeah. You know what I mean? What is happening that you have to issue that warning for us to have a conversation, a respectful dialogue to each other and come to some solutions, yeah. right? We all have to do better with that. We have to raise our children better. We have to, you know, I am I will be a strict parent. I already know that. Mm-hmm. You know, my granddad was strict with us and he believed in respect and he, he believed in values. He believed men hold doors. There was position for men. Men did the yard work. Men held doors. Mm-hmm. Um Men grabbed the jacket for women, and he he raised us to be respectful young ladies, mm-hmm. right? And 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 you can be powerful, and you can be respectful, yeah. and you can respect yourself, and you can respect your husband, and you can understand that there is a role for men. I think men right now, manhood is under attack. No, definitely. And one of the and and so to me, one of the biggest things that I'm a proponent on is tangible solutions by individuals, right? Mm-hmm. And so my one of my biggest arguments is that I feel as though. When we look at a problem, right, we can either tell we can either tell somebody, hey, this is your problem, you fix it, 
or we as individuals mm. who have compassion. Like you're, you say you're Christian, you know, you believe in charity and you believe James said true religions care for widows and orphans, right? Mm. So we now, we say, okay, I care enough to go out of my way to help you, to mm. go out of my way to educate you, to go out of my way to serve you. And that's what we're doing with this podcast. Because a lot of people are like, well, there is no positive black voices. Well, we have it here. Right. No, we've cultivated this environment to be able to provide tangible solutions and help. And one of the big things, going back to the initial point, about the black family that's why we do so much relationship content because we really believe in it we really believe in creating healthier men to be able to be healthier better husbands be able to be better fathers healthier women to be able to be better wives and better mother we believe in doing that with the podcast so one of the biggest things is that i strongly believe in each individual's personal responsibility not only as jordan peterson says look at the mirror and to improve yourself Mm -hmm. but at the same time to be able to now use whatever gifts and resources and tools that god has given you to go out into the greater society right well men like you should be mentoring mentoring young boys yeah like you know what i'm saying like this what we're talking about right here is not just the corrosion of females and allowing men to disrespect and disrespecting ourselves you don't even need men to disrespect us anymore now it's like cool to call ourselves bitches i'm that bitch i'm that bitch like i'm not (laughs) don't count me in that i'm not you know what i'm saying and until we have men like you that are fostering a new culture for young boys they don't need to agree or love candace owens but when i go on my instagram and people think i'm insulted by it you, you think I'm insulted when a grown black man calls me out of my name? You think I'm supposed to be like hurt about that? I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that that's happened to our culture, that they think that that's cool. F you, you stupid B-I-T-C-H, you slut, all of this stuff because you don't like my opinion on Black Lives Matter and you think that I'm going to look at that and be hurt? Look at yourself, man. You're not a man. You know what I'm saying? No matter how you feel about a certain woman, you should be respectful as a man. That's the role of a man. I'm disgusted by it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm harsher on men than half the time I am on women because I was raised by my grandfather and he was just such a, a strong example of what it means to be a man. Even when you're mad. You know what I mean? Even when you're mad, when you, when you really want to say something, I just I think that we just need to bring, that, bring back um, that old school man. You know, what it means to be a man. Yeah. Have a conversation. Say how you feel. It's fine. You're allowed to do that. Um, but we can't have we have to stop disrespecting each other and we are the number one perpetuators of a culture of disrespect black America it's in our music it's we do it to ourselves you know what I mean and then when God forbid someone on the outside says something negative about black America and or or something true you know what I mean and we lose our minds you know oh it's fine when I call myself a bitch when I call myself a slut when I call when I say that I'm doing ho ho shit right but God forbid somebody comes in and says your culture is broken, then you lose your mind and call them a racist. Yeah. That is not, I don't identify with that culture. Nobody should want to be a part of that culture. Yeah. And so, so to me, I think the way I feel as though is that, like I'm Nigerian American, so I kind of come from this a little bit from the outside. 100%. I, I want to be, be honest with here. But my thing is that the idea of black culture is... I hate to use this liberal neo-Marxist word, but it is a, it's a social construct, right? Mm. The idea of black culture, what it means to be black. It is. It is a social construct. It is. You as Candace Owen, you're free to believe whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You're free to read whatever books you want to read. You're free to talk in whatever type of English you want to talk to. And it has nothing to do with you being a black individual. That is a that is your phenotype, right? It is, it is a social construct. So, so to me, I... I one of the big things that I really strive to do is strive to on this show is to be able to show, guess what? Black Americans, as much as we say it, we got to believe it, are not a monolith. Right. There is a diversity of people who believe a diversity of things. And guess what? We're all black. So one of my big things is that I try really hard to like, we all understand you're, you're, anti, you're not a big media person. I'm not a big media person. The media propaganda is BS. It's mm-hmm. garbage. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we do what we do on Patreon because we're trying to combat it. And so now the beauty is moving forward. We can create a counter narrative, right? We can, we can create more healthier dialogues and more healthier conversations to be, be able to create better men, better women and improve black America. Right. And, 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 and just to get into that point about saying that black culture is a social contract, it's a social contract. It has been constructed, mm-hmm. right, socially for us, but we are the biggest perpetrators of it. So, And this is what I never understand. The same people that would be upset because Joe Biden said, you ain't black to Charlemagne the God, right, are the same people that will tell me I can't be black because I support Trump. You can't have it both ways, yeah. right? You either acknowledge that he shouldn't have said it, which is what I believe. He shouldn't have said that to him, right? 
and, and you also acknowledge that Candace Owens has different opinion than you. And you can't say you, that. You to can't. Candace. Yeah, you can't yes. say that. You can't say you, you're not black because you you have a different opinion than me, yeah. right? So Joe Biden is repeating what you what you have made real. Yeah. You know what I mean? He is saying that he's acknowledging in our culture it is permissible to strip somebody of their blackness, right? If they don't, you know, uh, subscribe to to democratic principles, that you yeah. can automatically say, oh, black card revoked, all of these, you know, socially constructed ideas. Can we can we not say democratic principles? But okay, well, but when I say democratic, like yeah, what I'm saying is that if if you are a black American and you're not a Democrat in America, right? You are told you're not black. That is why Joe Biden said that. That is the truth. It, there's never been, and people say, "Oh, it's because you support Trump." No, nope. oh, I thought you meant the, the stereotypes. No, no, okay, like you just, yeah, you if, you, if you're not a Democrat, the political affiliation. Yeah, this okay, is the first yeah, time yeah, that yeah. they will they'll say to you. Yeah. As soon as I said I wasn't Democrat, that's all it took. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they didn't care about my history. They didn't care about what I've been through. My ideas. It was you're not you're not Democrat. You're not black. And then they said, "Oh, it's because you support Trump." That's BS yeah. because before Trump there was Condoleezza Rice and you told her she wasn't black, yeah. right? There was Clarence Thomas and you told him he wasn't black. Yeah. You know there was there was uh, running against Trump yeah. was Dr. Ben Carson. You told him he wasn't black. Yeah. So the truth is, is that you think that being a Democrat is necessary to being a Black American, and right? I, and that's wrong. And I think not only that, I think what happens is I personally believe you, Candace Owens. Your goal is to help black America. Is that fair to that say? That is 100% the goal. I, and that is what you really care about, right? So you say my intentions in my heart is to create tangible solutions to help black America. I genuinely believe that you care. Anybody who questions that, I believe they're wrong. But the but what the difference is that we all have different ways of going about it, right? right. Candace may say, you know what, my way is I don't like big governments, right? I want to be able to have my resources. I want to be able to have private sector. I want to be able to do what I want without the government controlling me to help my communities, right? And that's what Candace believes. And then a person like a killer Mike can believe, you know what, I believe the government should assist us to help black America. And we're going to hold the government accountable. We're going to give like the 10 points of the black agenda. We're going to do things along the Democratic Party to be able to provide solutions for black America. And me personally, I'm like, if your intentions is to help, we can argue whether Candace's way is better or whether Killer Mike's way is better. But guess what? Both individuals are trying to help black America. And I feel like that's where people get lost. They don't acknowledge that individuals like you are genuinely interested in helping black America. You can disagree with her politics, mm -hmm. but don't attack the person right. I, I hate stuff like right. that right and, and then that's the difference between what you're talking about is really just authenticity mm -hmm. right and this is the reason why Killer Mike and I couldn't be more opposed in terms of who we support for office he supported Bernie mm -hmm. I supported Trump we genuinely get along. Like yeah. I genuinely, we have an affection for each other. We respect each other. You know, I, I think he is a great example. You know, he absolutely loves his wife. Like, you know, for what it means to be a black man, he's respectful. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, defending me when T.I. was attacking me. And, and, and T.I. is, in my opinion, the example of the exact opposite of what we need. This is a man who spoke to me multiple times on the phone before we got on stage together, was a whole different person, you know, sweet as can be. But then to create a moment, one, disrespect me on stage, Right. Killer Mike, on the other hand, didn't know me from a hole in the wall. I met him at that event and on stage was bothered by the disrespect that was being thrown my way. Mm -hmm. This, So we agree, he and I agree, that we need to foster a culture of respect. That That's the starting point, right? Mm -hmm. Do we agree we need to be fostering a culture of respect or that we need to be incentivizing people to be disrespectful? If you're mm -hmm. a black American and you get behind, you know, looting and rioting, even if you believe, in, and I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe about the George Floyd thing, right? You could say he was an uh, angel, you could believe he was a devil. Do you believe looting and rioting is the correct response? Mm -hmm. If your answer is yes to that, right, you and I are on two different pages. Because no matter what happens, that is not an appropriate... You, you do not tear down and burn down people that have nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. They're businesses, right? And that's respect. The difference between respect and no respect, mm -hmm. right? And especially because Blackstate, one of the things that we did was we raised $100,000 for Black-owned businesses that got burned down in the riots, right? Mm -hmm. Because these people are Black and you took down their private businesses. Some of them didn't even have insurance, mm -hmm. right? And so... Killer Mike and I agree on that, right? Mm -hmm. He gets on. He was like, "We don't need to be right. We don't. Need, we need to like start saying we need. We, we just need to start demanding solutions." Mm -hmm. Now, even though our perceptions of George Floyd, what happened may have been different, we both agreed on the fact that there needed to be productive solutions, and that's that middle ground that 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 we're losing mm -hmm. now because people have to be so tribal and can't can no longer just say this is wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't get behind this, even though I believe this. I will not support this. Mm -hmm. So that's good. So first one, um, 
was that you said the number one issue is single parent households, mm-hmm. right? And and so we we've addressed that. We've talked about that. What's after single parent households? Well, so everything when I say falls under it, why I say that's primary. So like I said to you, when you're talking about men getting locked up, so what happens when you move far from the home? Well, kids still naturally pursue paternity elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So they're still looking for mom and dad to raise them. Now mom's working late, right? You're you know you're raising your cousins, brothers, and sisters in your home, and you're still pursuing that paternity, that guidance. So where do those kids go? They naturally go to the street. Right, they naturally go to rap music. Suddenly, they're 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 not aspiring to be like their father. Mm-hmm. They're aspiring to to be like their favorite rapper, mm-hmm. right? Whoever that is, they they fall for drugs. So you see all of these things in the black community. To me, that the conduit is not having a stable family because when you have a stable family and you have a strict parent, like mm-hmm. especially I always say this, but the most it's ironic, ironically, the most successful um, immigrant group in this country, Black American immigrant group, is Nigerian Americans, mm-hmm. right? Go into a Nigerian American home, right? Mm-hmm. Families, you look at their families are intact and they're strict. Mm-hmm. Very, very strict. You could probably know this better than I do. They're yeah, strict. Yeah, yeah, they don't yeah, play yeah, around yeah, with yeah, that yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. The difference between that and having a kid who doesn't have a father in the home who's now listening to rap music, listening to Cardi B's WAP, he's going to get a woman pregnant. He's going to perpetuate exactly what his life has been. You be, you, and by you, rap, you mean unhealthy rap. Unhealthy rap. Talking, okay, no, no, no. Cool. I loved Kanye, Jay-Z growing okay. up. Because Jay-Z, you know, he wasn't, he, he would sometimes, you know, dabble yeah, into yeah. that. But he was, for the most part, talking like a businessman. That's yeah, why yeah. I loved it. I, I thought it was smart rap, talking yeah. like a businessman. Kanye West, you know, they're talking about ideas that are bigger than themselves, yeah. right? Yes, Jay-Z would talk about where he had come from and that he used to sell drugs, mm-hmm. but written it actually a lot, and it's ironic because I don't like him anymore because I think he's become a political pawn, but a lot of my character was formed by Jay-Z's music because yeah. he was talking about how he wasn't going to be used yeah. as a business person, you know, like the, the entire Black album was really yeah. him talking about his his business, him, him as a business and realizing where he was at in his life. Mm-hmm. So there's tons of good rap music. I'm talking about today's most, yeah. today's rap music. So so like you said, we since we know the primary issue, and I agree with you 100%, is the lack of male, that's why we with the roommates, that's the, our big thing, creating high value male, creating healthier men to be better fathers, better husbands, better leaders, better people yeah. in the community. So after after the single motherhood one, education. I knew we were, that's where I'm sorry. I know where we're gonna go. Education. We're going education, yeah. and this is where. So I, been in education when I first graduated college. I worked at a private school, uh, Providence Christian Academy, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in Lilburn, Georgia. I worked at a public school, Dunbar Middle School, Arlington Heights um, High School in Fort Worth, Texas, at a charter school, Yes Prep Public Schools in Houston, Texas. So I, I've worked in all three different school systems. Mm. And the education one is the trickiest one. Mm, it's hard. I, I agree with you because we all know the number one way of upward mobility in America is through education. 100%. And, and, one, and when, when I was sitting down with Ben Shapiro, this is one of the parts where I feel like it's a snafu because... A lot of kids are stuck in really bad schools. Yeah. There's like like they're stuck. There's there's there is seven, six year old, mm. eight year old kids who can't take personal responsibility, guys. I'm sorry. Right. Who are stuck in really bad schools. And we all know that once you fall behind at a very young age, it is extremely difficult to right. be able to catch up. So what are what are some of the tangible solutions for charter these- schools? And 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 the left is against charter schools. You literally are already and people don't even understand this in black homes. What you are saying is that we will take your tax dollars. You're already paying. It's not nothing that you're not. It's no extra money. Create school vouchers, and you will be able to shop to go to schools just like wealthy people do. And say, I want my kids to go to this school or that school. To be able to actually be a part of the process and say, this is not a good school. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be assigned to the school because I live in a bad neighborhood. I want to be able to shop around and see what school I want to go to. That is the solution. And yet. It's been politicized, and you have the left, which is staunchly against charter schools, and they've been lying about the narrative, saying it's going to only help white kids. I mean, they say the craziest things because they know people are ignorant and don't understand that charter schools is a solution. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, at Blexit, we're now doing a, you know, a, a Blexit Head Start program that we're getting in place for next year to just take kids after school and teach them to read, and hopefully, and then do a summer school program, and hopefully, help look at these single motherhoods and and, and these and these families and say. I have something for your kid to do. He doesn't need to go on the streets. Your kid can't read. We're going to spend time and teach him to learn how to read. That's something that. I can do as an individual with Blexit. But mm-hmm. I'm not the government, right? Yeah. I'm not, I don't have access to every public school in America. And that's when you have to start looking at politicians, right? And this is why I, I, I am, you know, behind the Trump campaign and, and Betsy DeVoe. Again, looking at the person and their policies, mm-hmm. right? This is like, because that is a solution, a tangible solution right there. Yeah. Is saying that they are trying to proliferate charter schools and they are being met with roadblocks 
because the left doesn't want it. And why so, doesn't the left want it? I can't, I can't wrap my head around why you wouldn't want to help these kids learn. Yeah. And so to be fair, like I said, I just don't, I just don't like political straw man because people get too emotional on it. I like I said when I was working at the charter schools, a lot of people were liberal Democrats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there, she's not saying that there's no liberal Democratic who people support it, who support charter right. school. You're just talking about like you know some of the legal the, the actual roadblocks that are being like you know when these things get voted down, like it, it is it is coming from the left, and they have seized an argument. I mean, you can look at the candidates; they don't support charter schools. Yeah, why why don't Democrat candidates support charter schools? That's for you Democrats who are watching this and saying I support them. So why don't, you know, maybe ask your candidate that question. That'd be yeah. a really good question to ask them. If you believe that the education system is important, like, why don't you support this? That's a, that to me, if, if those candidates doesn't support school choice, yeah. it's a no-no for me. So here's, here's my perplexity. Like I said, I've worked in all three different school systems. I'm all for charter schools. I love the Harlem Children's Zone. Are you familiar with the Harlem Children's Zone? No. Um, there's a book, Whatever It Takes by Jeffrey Kenna. You will love this book about the Harlem Children's Zone. He has a, a, one of the top charter schools in the country, especially for um, um, black students. My problem with the charter school system is how unsustainable it is. What do you mean by that? So we all know that in order to create a school, you have to fund the school, mm-hmm. right? So the Harlem Children's Zone, which is, I was using one that I worked at. I worked at Yes Prep Public Schools in Houston, Texas. So every year we had to do fundraisers to fund the school, like, because we don't, we don't get federal money, right? But you should be able to get federal money. That's the point. Okay. You should be. That's the whole point. Like, if it's done, if it's done the correct way, those, the federal money that is allocated to public schools should be redirected to charter schools, but they create all of these roadblocks to make sure it doesn't happen. So, so that's fair. So that's fair to say that the federal government should fund the charter schools. 100%. I believe in that. But what I'm saying is, it's not sustainable because at, yes, prep public schools, we had a 25 thousand kid waiting list mm-hmm. 20 because not enough of them exactly that's it so the problem is there's not enough good quality charter schools right. for all because what's really interesting is and, and i hate to go on this little tangent but i think what you and i can both agree with a lot of issues in america is not just black and white no i think not. the media makes it black and white to kind of divide us right but when we know what's going on in poor white neighborhoods and mm-hmm. Appalachians, poor native american neighborhoods poor Hispanic neighborhoods poor black neighborhoods the education crisis is apparent in all four right. of these communities but there would be more charter schools if and this is why I say it has been politicized and it shouldn't be politicized so case in point like we know our one of our friends started a prep school a chattanooga prep in tennessee mm-hmm. what he had to go through to get it started yeah. they create roadblocks because they don't want charter schools right so you're right there's not enough charter schools right now yeah. But if you removed all of these roadblocks, right, and you and you didn't have politicians that did not want to see this happen, yeah. we could have them all over the country. So I agree with you about because you know obviously like we used to go to these marches and we we're, we were constantly fighting for behalf of charter schools. I understand some of the roadblocks because when you're creating a school, we need to have serious regulation, right? We don't want any Joe Blow creating a school. We but want that any- seems to be the case when it's public. That's why the schools are so bad. Yes, but in, <laughs> but in regards to the public education, there's at least a governing board in regards to this the local districts that can govern your school. Right, mm-hmm. a charter school is privately governed mm-hmm. in in its in its uh, you know structure, and so I understand because I, I don't agree with all the unnecessary roadblocks, but I under I understand it. So I guess one of my issues is that, but don't it, we rely on parents to know that? Say it again. Don't we rely on parents to know that? To so know what? That it's, so you say, like, you know, when you open a school, we do need some sort of robot because, you know, we need to have a governing party because it's private. But I actually don't know if I agree with that. And I'm thinking okay. through this right now live. Okay. But, go. like, don't shouldn't that be your parents' decision? Because when you go to private school, you private school shop, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to a charter school, it's the same thing. You're shopping. Mm-hmm. So any other any private business, do we really need the gov- the government? If you want to open, uh, open a store, yeah. aren't I smart enough as an individual to say, you know what? I don't want to buy this product because this product sucks. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and it should be the same for school. So if you're going to open a school, say I want to start a school, yeah. and I'm like, Blex is going to be a school, right? Why does the government really need to like make sure? Are, are, the, are we saying the parents aren't smart enough to walk around the school and say, this looks a little funky? You're saying my, te- my, my student is coming home with homework, yeah. and he's repeating satanic verses. My yeah. kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I think that, we, that we've almost relied, and this goes, kind of goes back to me being a small government person, we keep wanting the government to do what the parents are capable of. Okay. The parents are capable of telling you whether it's good school. The go- Actually, the government has screwed up school. That's yeah. why we have this you know, this huge issue of illiteracy rates. So the government has not been doing a good job. So we don't need the government to then say, now monitor people that are trying to come in and do a, a good job. We yeah. need less government in this space. Yes, I think the, the challenge to me is that how do we create 
equal schools in mass across the country. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge. So one of the big issues is that you and I both know a 4.0 at Harvard University is not a 4.0 at University of Phoenix. Right. Not a 4.0 at DeVire University. Mm-hmm. So if you're individual and you're going to a really good quality school, your, your GPA weighs better, you're more equally equipped, all these good things are going to be more in your favor. Mm. The challenge is going to be that when we're, where we're saying we have all these millions of Americans and all these millions of children and we all want to give them high quality schools, who's going to be the individual to, to make sure that all the different schools are going to be high quality up to standards so that every kid has equal and, and equal access to a high quality school. And what I'm saying is we don't have that now. Under the I'm public schools, you know you. what I mean? I so, so it would solution? be a better because we know that char- kids fare better in private schools. We know that they, they do better. So you want to, there are higher rates of graduation. There are high, you know, yeah. they do better in college. So we know that the private system works better as it is now because that's just how the world works. I mean, the whole idea is in the mass, gov- though, Candace. The, yeah, but even if you did it in mass, it would be better because, you, I mean, to be able to start a private school, you can't be some dummy. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, it, it, it takes a lot I to agree. be able so, to so start. So, how many can we start? That's I mean, what I'm saying. As soon as we remove the roadblocks, I, I'm hoping tons. I'm, I mean, we are, uh, I am not the number one person that should be equipped to talk to you about charter schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you that we, we, we have this giant space where we need private schools. Um, I don't know how we perpetuate it more quickly. Yeah. You know, that's a discussion. I would love to have Betsy DeVoe mm-hmm. uh, on my podcast and talk about that because yeah. I really would like to understand why can't we get more? I know that we have all of these roadblocks that are, be, are being created by politicians. And that's why I think that the last thing I would say is that we need to have regulations to start tra- charter schools because the same people that are failing our kids are now telling us that they're going to yeah. try, you know, create a solution. And parents are smart enough to, to say, it's like when you decide if your kid's going to play football or gymnastics, you know, you don't need the government to regulate that. You're smart enough to say, this works for my kid or this doesn't. And to be able to shop is important. And yeah. I, w- I want ki- parents to be able to parent again. You know no, what I, I mean? Like, all, and the only reason I said regulation was because there's a lot of charter schools that were that were created that got shut down. Mm. A lot of charter schools that created that did a lot of bad things for the students because they were not ill-prepared yeah. to open the schools. You're more educated on that than I am. I'm, you know, so for me, the only... Re- I don't, like I said... Whoever it has to be, I just want to make sure if if Jack and Jill are building a charter school, mm-hmm. I want I don't want to have the same mistakes that does the public school. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that it's safe for the students. I want to make sure that it's well-equipped principals, assistant principals, teachers, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that the mistakes that's going on today is not perpetuated in these charter schools like some, unfortunately, have done in the past. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. But the same same with public schools, right? Yeah, of course. And and that's... It's a big problem. I mean, we could sit here all day. Like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that's bigger than us and that I feel equally as impassioned about as you do that yeah. there's there are things that need to be done and we we need you know we, we need a solution yeah our, our kids are being failed they yeah. can't read I mean that was not a thing when I was like everybody mm-hmm. could read yeah you know they can't they can't read now yeah. so it's getting worse over time and there's no reason for that. There's no reason other than, you know, we're replacing hard academics with soft academics is a big reason. You know, you want kids to feel good and not know anything, which Thomas Sowell wrote, wrote a great book about that, mm-hmm. um, you know, inside the American education system, you know, the lies, the dogma, the deception is the subtitle. And he talks about that extensively, mm-hmm. about how now you used to have hard academics where American schools used to be really great. Mm-hmm. Science, the maths, now it's like, you know, first day of school, here's a safe space. You can pick your gender. We want you to have a feelings class. We want you to learn about your privilege. I don't want my kid to learn about that. <laughs> I want my kid to be able to do math. Like when I see those little five-year-old Chinese kids on YouTube and they're like hitting the calculator, <laughs> and I'm like, I want my kid to be able to do that. Yeah. I don't let, let me parent him on all of the emotional aspects. Let me, let me be the parent mm-hmm. and you truly just be the teacher. Mm, that's awesome. So in closing, Candace, I have a scenario for you. What year are we? 2020. All right. It's the year 2040. And after, tw- um, what is that? Twenty. Four years in office, um, Lord Trump <laughs> says, <laughs> I relinquish my power and I'm allowed Candace Owens to now be the supreme ruler of ah, the United States finally, of America. Finally, what right? I've been after. <laughs> yes. So, oh, it's so, a dictatorship, right? <laughs> benevolent dictatorship. Whatever you want it to be, okay. Candace. So what are... What is five things that you're going to implement to benefit not only black America, but America as a whole, if you were leading the free world? 
Yeah, well, I'd have to have the House and the Senate. If, <laughs> if, if, if it was not a dictatorship, if it was a dictatorship, yeah. I would revamp the school systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking hard academics. I mean, none, none of the fluff classes, they'd be removed immediately. I'd dial back welfare to almost non-existent because um, I believe, and it's been proven, that the less people, when the government stops taking your tax money, people do more charity. Mm-hmm. So the, people don't realize that. They think that suddenly you take away government charity and uh, suddenly people will be on the streets and dying. No, it's been proven that when people can keep their money and you don't take 40% of their check, uh, they have extra money and they want to help. Um, and I, I, I believe in, in private individuals can do much more than the government can be. So I would, I would shrink government. Um, it would, that would be my number one thing. I would shrink government, something that would be, you know, virtually not, not existing outside of me, the Supreme mm-hmm. ruler. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you would really harp on, uh, you know, trying, I would first and foremost, I think this is the most important thing as we talk about the media and the propaganda is reversing New York Times versus Sullivan, making the media accountable for their lies. Mm. And we, it's incredible to me that this is not, has not been reversed already. Um, imagine what the world would be if the media was forced to tell the truth or else they get sued, mm-hmm. right? If, if they couldn't say, just write something wild, like Trump said something racist and, you know, an interpretation actually just tell the truth about what he said. I think that would make people less ignorant. It would make them more educated and it would take away that tribalism that we mm-hmm. see so much because you'd just be getting the truth of here was his actual statement and being allowed to assess it yourself. Um, so putting responsibility back in the, in the mainstream media, um, I think all these opinion pieces <laughs> and you know everyone running amok and calling people names is something that's actually uh, harming uh, the harmony in, in this country. Um, and uh, I would have be the first president to have a cat and not a dog. <laughs> 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 that's that's an interesting one, Candice. But you know, your husband said you got to go, so I want to be respectful. I want I want no trouble, Jordan. I want no trouble. <laughs> but Candice, this has really been an honor. I wish we could go for more. But one of the big things, what what I wanted to do was I wanted to show people that you can respect somebody, disagree with them, and still create conductive, healthy conversations. And that's what we need more of in American society. You don't have to believe everything they say. You can freely say, I don't like what you said here. I don't agree with your your genesis of your idea here, but I respect you as an individual and I will allow to have civil conversation. And I'm so thankful, Candace, that you're willing and eager to be a part of this. Always willing. I always say that people usually don't want to sit down with me if they have a dif- different opinion, but I've hosted Black Lives Matter on my podcast. Yeah. I had Mark Lamont Hill on my podcast yeah. and everyone will tell you that I am always respectful because I think the dialogue is more important than landing punches. Yes. So where can people find you at, Candice? Everywhere. <laughs> um, you can go to CandiceOwens.com. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook um, at Real Candice Owens or at Real Candice O. Um, and, you know, my book that's coming out, which really spells out a lot of what we talked about today and what what I believe Black America um, needs to do uh, to get ahead and to stop lagging in this society is called Blackout. Uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and it'll be out on September 15th, and I will be touring. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> so, guys, make sure you reach out to Candace, guys. And like I said, hopefully you guys appreciate this conversation, pre- appreciate the civil discourse, and appreciate having a conversation with those who are different from you. Um, my name is Alfis, and I'm joined by... Candace Owens. And we got our roommates, guys. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, guys, so I hope you really enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to people who are different from you and people that you disagree with, guys. But like we said at the beginning, guys, we want to create more dope content. I want to put out more exclusive interviews, and we just do not want to ever be censored. So we need your support, guys. Head over to Patreon, guys, and join the movement. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash roommates. You get so much more additional content as well as a weekly bonus episode and so much more. That is www.patreon.com slash roommate. The link is in the description below. Join the movement. Help us create more dope content. And I look forward to seeing you guys on Patreon.